Bernard Show with co-host Catherine Brandt, Andy Brandt Bernard, Michael Bryant, uh, Thomas Bryant, first son of Michael Bryant, <laughs> Mike Molina, Laura Gehring, and Anne Sophie Kenninger, and David Schrader. <laughs> Nine. <laughs> We'll be right back to kick off. We have two German exchange students in the studio, so we can't bring up the name of our dog because the last guy, German guy, hung up when we did. So oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> he did. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant. Bradshaw and Brian. Due to the billions of marketing dollars spent by Walzer Automotive on Tom Bernard Podcast, you hopefully know that Walzer sells cars. What you might not know is that they also have two full-service collision repair centers in the Twin Cities. They're fully certified by all insurance carriers and can help you navigate all the paperwork if you ever have an accident. But wait, there's more. They've also been in the paintless dent repair business for nearly 30 years and can take those pesky dings out for just a fraction of what traditional body work costs. Broken windshield? Walzer Collision is a fleet of full-service mobile glass repair trucks as well. Walzer are pros at body and glass repair, but don't take my word for it. They have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and a nearly perfect 4.8 Google rating. Check them out at walzercollision.com. No, 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 it's back. No Rammstein. No Rammstein. No Rammstein. We looked up Rocco. We looked up the mystery of Schnickelfritz. What does Schnickelfritz mean? It's mischievous child, and it's Pennsylvania. Mischievous. Whatever. Oh, Pennsylvania Dutch? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania German. 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 Which is apparently a thing. Which I don't know why he would have that. He never lived in Pennsylvania. (laughs) He's from North Dakota. So how that ever happened, I don't know. But apparently it's from Schnickschnack. Which you should. What that's sh- that's real German, right? It's schnickschnack. Yeah. What's schnickschnack? Yeah. They began like- giggling, so I don't know if that really fits either. <laughs> <laughs> what What's does schnickschnack mean? That's what you eat at the movies. Some schnickschnacks. It just means like it just means chatter. So it's like chatty child. Oh. That- and Fritz is <laughs> just the is? name Fritz. I love it I as you're know. explaining it, Andy. The two German girls are looking at us under their brows, like I don't understand what he's talking about. <laughs> Who 
knows? Maybe it means something now. <laughs> what are the first names of the two German girls? Give them your first names. Um, Anne-Sophie. Sophie and Laura. Sophie and Laura. Sophie and Laura. Yep. Okay, Sophie and Laura. My, my mother was 100% German. My grandmother was born in Germany. My grandfather was born in Germany. So watch your stuff. <laughs> I, uh, I, was, I was very, very lucky. Unfortunately, my, my grandmother passed away several years ago when I was only 19. And she gave me, at her death, a Bible that is written in German. And I still have it to this day. It's a little, it's like a... First Communion Bible that's that's uh, written in German, and it's very dear to me. So you both need to behave so you don't ruin my image of German. Okay. <laughs> okay. Was that the grandmother that was 150? No pressure. <laughs> She's about 150 years old, yeah. No, my grandmother, actually, Sophie and Laura, uh, my grandmother was six feet tall and weighed 200 pounds but was not overweight. She was just a very large woman. She was a very, very, and one of the sweetest human beings I've ever met in my entire life. She was a, she was a dear woman. Uh, by the way, Minnesota. A lot of people think that Minnesota is heavily Scandinavian, but there are more Germans living in Minnesota than any other country. That's true. Yep, there I are did more. Not know that. There, yeah, there are more Germans in Minnesota than Scandinavians or, or anything else. Scandinavian accent for some well, reason. Why do I know so many Scandinavians? Yeah, we do know a lot. <laughs> Here, now wait a minute. I will tell the young ladies this: that in the state of Minnesota, it is the only place in the United States where people say "borrow me a dollar," because the word for borrow and lend in German is the same word. Correct. Um. Borrow and uh, lend. Uh, <laughs> Just be polite and say yes. Yeah, yeah. I looked it up. Exactly. I'm starting to it, wonder if they're really it from it Germany. Germany. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys understand German? Yeah, you're faking it out. <laughs> Maybe you're willing really to take the Russians to exchange students as easily. It's kind of hard oh, yeah, when you're right, used to um, English now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, German, yeah, 36% of people in Minnesota are... Uh, Ethnically German and ethnically German. Uh, yeah. The second is Norwegian at 17, so only See? less than half. That just does not seem right. I know we know so many Norwegians; it's weird. Yeah, but 36% of the state of Minnesota is German. Huh. Well, there you go. So you should feel at home. Well, that's just because I have 11 Google children. <laughs> yeah, you have 11 children, so that works out really. The Schrader really well. family is strong is in Minnesota. Google Translate will help us out. All right, the word we're thinking of is Lehen. Lion. You know, lion. Lion. Lion of the Senate. Thank you very much. Lion. Lion means borrow and lend. Yes. To lend and to borrow is is lion, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so when the Germans moved to Minnesota and they translated lion to English, they came up with not only lend me a dollar, they also say borrow me a dollar, which is not proper English. And Minnesota is the only state in which people say borrow me a dollar. Because of the German heritage. Also, duck, yeah. duck, gray duck. Is that ger- from German too? No, that's oh. just I don't. No one knows <laughs> okay. why Minnesotans are the one state that say duck, duck, gray duck. Yeah, okay. Everybody else says goose. Yeah, it would be cool why? if we got to the bottom of the mystery, though. It could be. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Now, the only other thing I could do for the two young ladies, which I won't do, is as a young boy, I did learn how to swear a lot in German. But I won't do that. <laughs> I can I can curse in German like mm-hmm. there's no tomorrow, but nope. I won't do it because of, out of respect did for toots, you. Did Toots do that? Did she no, swear my, in German? No, my grandmother did. Oh. <laughs> the really, really nice big lady would swear. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so, well, but she didn't think I knew what she was saying. <laughs> but over time, you know, if somebody says something in front of you enough, you understand what yeah. they're saying. It doesn't matter what language it's in, you'll eventually understand exactly uh, what it's all about. But um, So how old are, are, are the two of you? Uh, we're both 17 right now. You're both 17. And why did you come, why did you get stuck at the Bryant I mean, why did you get stuck at the um, well, we're ex- well, he's my exchange partner, so it may- kind of makes sense that since he got stuck with me, that I get stuck with him. <laughs> and, well, uh, my friend just, his, her um, host brother couldn't take her, so... We decided to take two. Oh, you two are... So the two of you are friends anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're all the exchange students are from the same school, uh, or the same uh, town area in Germany. Okay. And Thomas went there this summer. Yeah. And where is that? Uh, Bensheim, it's right outside of Frankfurt. And, and by the way, Thomas, don't give me that fake German. You just went, yeah. Frankfurt. Frankfurt. Thomas goes, oh, yeah. Yeah. Frankfurt. Thomas, <laughs> come on, man. Thomas was there Thomas for a month, and then they're staying with us for two weeks. So they got, the, they, what, oh, you guys went nice. to New York for a week, right? Yeah, no, yeah. for two days. For t- oh, two days. So that traded off two for days. two weeks. <laughs> Couldn't afford the hotels. <laughs> I have a friend. I have a friend also uh, who lives in Minnesota. Does a lot of business in Ulm, Germany. So he's over there all the time, and he absolutely loves it. He loves Germany. Everybody. I I do someday wish. I'd like to go to Germany. It's a I've never been. Beautiful country. I would love to go to Germany, and wander around and see where my family came from, and all all the towns, and see why we are such big people. We're. Are, are some Germans bigger than others? Is there a part of Germany where, where the people are bigger than, you know, I mean, literally in shoulder width and height and all the well, rest of it? think about the United States. We have that here. Right, but that's what I mean. It, it came from Europe, though, well, initially. True. So is there a part of Germany where the, the people tend to be bigger? Uh, probably not. We don't think so. Yes, yeah, probably, <laughs> like, averagely different everywhere. <laughs> like... I think it's just because people that uh, lived in Minnesota in the 1800s all tended to be farmers. Well, that's a possibility. You too. couldn't be small if you're a farmer. Okay, so what are your favorite American things so far? And don't tell me, Thomas, because I know you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really like New York. It was really cool to see all oh, the yeah. big things there because everybody told you about New York, the city which never sleeps, and then to go there by myself was really cool. Mm. <laughs> it is a great city. It is a wonderful yeah. city. And I'm sure you're loving our weather. Yeah, how about the weather? Well, I actually your, do. You brought <laughs> your German weather with you. It's your fault. What, did, no, what was your favorite, so, or what's your favorite thing? Oh, uh, f- um, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of hard, but I suppose, like, kind of the high school like if you don't have to go there yourself, it's kind of really cool because like they have a lot of <laughs> different things. <laughs> like we only have like the bases, and then they have like these really like elaborate co- classes on choir and band and like uh, a theory of knowledge. I didn't even know that was a thing until now. So <laughs> yeah, we'd like to pretend that we're le- that we're learning here. Yeah, so we're, <laughs> we're call, learning things. Call the classes great things, and then we sit around. <laughs> exactly. Now, what the, and, uh, so people know that people are listening because this is being going to be broadcast all over the uh, state of Minnesota and hmm. Wisconsin and the, the Dakota. It's, it's going to be broadcast everywhere. So, uh, 
Use your names if you would. Whoever speaks first, please announce your your name. What do you wish to do with your life? What do you want to do? What do you want to become in your life? Uh, um, my name is Laura, and I don't know what I want to become. I just know that I want to travel a lot. I want to see the world. And after this exchange, I want to come back to the United States because I really like it, and there's so much things to see in this country, but in the whole world, that's what I want to do in my life. So, that's really great. So you don't want to work, great. <laughs> <laughs> Probably I should work You're to gonna travel. You're going to fit right back. in in America. Yeah, yeah, you'll fit right in. <laughs> <laughs> you'll fit right in in America, exactly. Laura, what do you, what, what do you think? That was Laura. That, that was Laura. <laughs> yeah. well, that was, oh, Sophie. Oh, I'm that sorry, Sophie. Sophie, what do you want to do? I don't know. It's, it's oh, my God. Yeah, what a couple of bums. <laughs> I don't know. But so far... I, I just right now I'm just living like and in the right now as in like at first I'm going to focus on school and actually finishing it you know and then I'll think about it we'll see no I understand 17 I, you know I knew what I wanted to do when I was 14 but that was just me <laughs> very yeah. very few people no seriously very few people I talked to knew what they wanted to do at such a young age but I did I knew by the time I was 14 what I wanted to do but that was just, uh, it was very unusual. There's no question about that. What, what is the view, and, and don't lie about this either because I'll know you're lying <laughs> again. What is the view of the United States of America and Germany right now? Because I know our leaders really don't get along all that well. <laughs> Yeah. You should see the faces yeah. right now. Though. <laughs> <laughs> we're hey, both kind of looking at each other with a smile and a knowing glance. Like I don't think we should tell them. When, when I Thomas don't think to tell them that Angela, Angela Merkel hates you. That's what. <laughs> when Thomas was over in Germany, they had an actual forum where they had the kids from St. Louis Park uh, talk about what was going on with politics and asked a bunch of questions. Here, you guys, nobody wants to do anything like that here. So it, it was no. interesting in Germany how they were into questions and what was going on overall versus the where we're kind of more like, you know, whatever. We don't care as much, I guess. I, I think we care. We just can't agree on anything. So why talk? But what do you guys think about America? Or what's the thought in Germany? Yeah. Uh, well, it's kind of hard because, because like, the whole politics political thing it doesn't come up that much like uh in just passing conversations you don't talk that much like the only things that and i'm saying this like being really nice and neutral myself that just saying that some americans are stupid for voting for trump just saying <laughs> <laughs> she's absorbed the minnesota night that's it's as neutral yeah. and nice neutral. as I've ever heard. Very centrist, very centrist. <laughs> I try. <laughs> but yeah, like, anything else is just about how great America itself is because there's so many things to see and, like, everything mm -hmm. big comes from America. Like, every movie, like, not every movie, but most movies and, well. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, I understand exactly what you're saying. So you think, so Germans think that the people who voted for Donald Trump are stupid. Kinda. The most drama thing everyone, is. Everyone thinks that anyone who didn't vote for some, or voted for someone they wouldn't vote for is stupid. That's a worldwide phenomenon. It is, it is a worldwide phenomenon. That's yeah. true. Um, Germany's economy is quite strong right now, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is, I think. <laughs> what do you think of your tariff laws over in Germany? <laughs> <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk tariffs there, sister. Now, who was what it, do you think of that action? Who was it that NATO? died when you were in Germany? 
Germany. Was that Helmut um, yeah. Mueller or Helmut uh, Schmidt? One of their big leaders died that had been a leader like in the oh, really? in the 80s, and there wasn't a lot of talk about that. Like they didn't even know, and it was kind of the it was kind of weird because I'd message message Thomas about it and thought it would be a big deal. Like here, if you know an older politician dies, generally it's a big deal, but it really wasn't. Yeah. You guys didn't even notice, and I think it was Helmut Mueller or one of it, whoever the leader was back in the 80s time period. So. Cole? Cole. Maybe it was yeah. Helmut Cole. Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, but there... Oh, Helmut Cole, yeah. yeah. It, there's much drums who just don't interest on these things. I mean, probably it's in all countries, so, but with drums, we have people who are really interested in these things, and they talk mm -hmm. about it, but I think the most drummers don't talk about things, and it's a long time ago, so our generation not really know him, knew him, so it's not a big deal for us. Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. You think a, a VW is going to go under? Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Volkswagen, the people, the people's people's car, or well, Wagen, Wagen doesn't mean car, does it? Volkswagen oh, means actually like people's. I thought it meant a wagon. Is it people's wagon? <laughs> yeah. I mean, is that what it means, literally? Yeah, pretty much. Like, car. So. Oh, it is car. So, so it's people's car. Volkswagen means people's car. Like how you could call your car a wagon. <laughs> like yeah. station wagon. Yeah, like station, station wagon. wagon. All right, we're going to come back in about 10 seconds. Uh, we'll be back in just a short bit, and then we're going to hear how horrible America is. <laughs> <laughs> they love it here. All right. Right after this, the Humbert Arch. I'm Brad Huckle, president of North American Banking Company. Ask one of our bankers what they love about business banking. They always say the relationship with a client. Case in point, True North Oral Surgery and Implants is a longtime customer with a growing practice. Their banker, Julie Marshall, knows the ins and outs of what they do. So when they need working capital, an equipment loan, or funds for expansion, they call Julie. Are you looking for a banker you can count on? Give us a call. This is Tom. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company? a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. If you've noticed your vision getting cloudy, blurry, or dim, or having more difficulty seeing at night, you could have cataracts. Tom here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Eye Care. Whiting Clinic is best known for their fabulous LASIK results. You've heard me rave about them for years, but did you know they do much more? They do, and I'm here to tell you about my wonderful experience having cataract surgery at Whiting Clinic. I'm at that age where my vision started to fade, so I called up the folks at Whiting Clinic, they helped me out right away. My cataract surgery was super easy, and thanks to the Whiting Clinic, my vision is top-notch once again. Of course, Whiting Clinic has the most advanced lens technology and vision options available, so I can see far away and up close without wearing any glasses. If you've been told you have cataracts or you're wondering why things just aren't as clear as they used to be, call the experts at Whiting Clinic or go to whitingclinic.com to learn more. See the folks at Whiting Clinic in order to see your very best. And don't forget to tell them that I sent you. Are you really playing Wagner? <laughs> Why you not? You got the smell of napalm in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> that was my... Well, that's what, the, what it's, he says in the movie, right? Yep. Uh, yes, it is. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you just tuned in, we have a couple of uh, visitors in, stu in studio. Well, Thomas is a visitor as well. But we have uh, two foreign exchange students uh, visiting America. And we found out so far in the first segment that they're going to both end up homeless. <laughs> <laughs> whatsoever. 
So that's great. That's news. one way to travel. <laughs> that's wonderful. <laughs> so, so okay, New York City. You love New York. You were only there for two days, but you mm-hmm. loved New New York City. You both yeah. loved it. No, right? that was Laura. Yeah, yeah that Laura, was. <laughs> you didn't oh, like oh, it. Sophie, so you didn't like you didn't like New York. It, it was fine, but like we had two days to like look at every tourist uh, attraction. Like we were just mm. like ushered around and just weren't everywhere. It was really tiring and stressful. And then we went to Times Square, and there were so many people there, and there were like people who just want you to uh, like these people, these religious people, and like these people who want you to take their mixtapes. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then they got trapped in a Rockefeller Center elevator. Oh yeah, yeah. We got stuck oh, in that's, an elevator. Oh. Yeah, that's not good. Sophie, I got to tell you something. It was very eerie there because I think you and I are are related because you sounded just like my mother and my grandmother. <laughs> oh, it was stressful and it was horrible. We didn't have any time. It's like, oh my God, Sophie and I are related. Here we go. Well, that's a revelation. <laughs> that, that is a revelation. That's exactly right. But so you wish you could have spent more time in New York, or or just yeah, just did you um, just more time? Right? Yeah. More time to like look at everything, like not to have be as stressed, you know, just have mm-hmm. your own pace. I understand. Yeah. Yep. So how long are you going to be in Minnesota? Uh, until Saturday, yeah, and then we're gone forever. Yeah, they're here for two weeks. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> gone forever. <laughs> yeah, they were here for two weeks, and it'll they'll fly back on Saturday, and then it takes a sixteen hour flight. Is that what you got? Thirteen hours. Thirteen hours. Yeah. So they got what? that coming up. Kind of thirteen hours. Kind of cheesy airline you fly. <laughs> How many stopovers do you have? Uh, uh, just why one. Why don't you take the uh, Bradshaw and Bryant private? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just goes, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. We got one of those. Yeah. Well, uh, so you've enjoyed your stay in Minnesota. So you've been here for this is your twelfth day. Yeah. Don't sound so excited. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Come on, it's been fabulous. It's, it's been really cool, yeah. It's been awesome. Woo! It was really cool, no, but I it was so cold. Yes. Oh, it's very, very cold. cold. There's no doubt about it. The last two and, weeks uh, have been spring here. What are you talking about? Yes. This is our warm <laughs> season. Laura's just weak. <laughs> So I have to find out, did did Thomas's father bring you to Gostov Zergemütlichkeit? No, they haven't been there. So They went to, uh, oh, you guys went to the, to the Brat place on Saturday, on New Sunday. New Bohemia? Yeah, New Bohemia. Oh, yeah. The Brat oh, place. That yeah. doesn't count. That's yeah. good. I like that place. Yeah. Ta- make them take you tonight or tomorrow night to Gostov Zergemütlichkeit. Yeah, it's a good place. It's very good German food. Really mm. good place. It's true. Don't try to booze it up like you do over in Germany. You're too young. They're, they're not allowed to drink, so yeah. they're, that's part of part of the rules. They'll get sent back to Germany. How old uh, is the, the legal drinking age in, in Germany? Uh, you can drink beer and 16. wine with 16, and all other stuff with 18. 16 for the beer and wine, and then 18 for the uh, for the booze. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys been hitting it hard over there? <laughs> Tom. I just wanna. I'm I don't think asking. they want any of this on record. Okay? I think it's a, a very leave them fair alone. question. I just want to know. As their attorney, Michael Bryan, <laughs> <laughs> please advise them exactly. to not answer his question. They're exactly. plausible deniability. They're remaining silent. So. so no, no, this is an important question. Uh, how, what is the age to be able to drive legally in Germany? Um, to drive alone, you have to be 18. 
But you can you drive with around. 17, but then just with your parents in the car. And it's okay, but 18, your parents? So uh, the yeah. parents are yeah. another. Any adult supervision. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so, uh, but I, from what I understand, like the, the drinking and driving laws are very strict in Germany, is that correct? Yeah. That's good. See, that's yes, a good that thing. Is good. You should be proud of that because America needs to get a better handle on that because people think they can do, even though you can't drink until you're 21 years old here, uh, people, far too many people get behind the wheel after drinking. So we, we need to do, uh, we need to clamp down on that much more than we do, as a matter of fact. Um, do you find, because the ability to drink beer and wine at 16 years old, you're still in high school. Does the average a person graduate from high school in Germany at 18? Uh, um, the high school system is very different. So that's oh, it is hard very to say. Okay. Yeah. So when do they graduate? What age? Um, the 18, 19 for like, essentially instead of having honors classes, you go to like honors school or like regular school or they have a like third one which is more like vocation based for people who aren't as good at school so it really depends right. on what your life path is and when do they get out at what age really depends on what your life path okay. is you <laughs> okay you can graduate so. with 16 but then now it's like graduation after middle school um and after high school there's people from 17 to 20 21 who graduate with us okay they were like that in my high school, too. I think I was a kid graduated when I was like 25, but not for the same reasons you did. Yeah, and those are the that. kids on the sports teams. I swear to God, our running back on our football team was 25. <laughs> <laughs> the guy with the beard. <laughs> the guy with the beard and the two kids. It was, really <laughs> you know, it was very, very difficult. That would not be unusual any longer. Now, I do, no. I do have great interest in this. I'm very serious. Are there really good comedians? Are there really good joke tellers in Germany? Yeah, actually. Yeah. Okay, I can't and, and name one, <laughs> but there oh, are. Great. We have That's a few. Great. There must be. Yeah. Uh, one of my, my my favorites, and I can't remember the man's name, but he was a he was a German stand-up comedian, and he came out and told a joke because I I spend a lot of time in comedy clubs and all the rest of it. It's part of my job, but he came out on stage, and he said, "Hello, I'm from Germany. I know you've never heard of a German comedian before." But I have a great joke to start my act with. So please listen. I am a German comedian. Take my wife. I command you. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the greatest jokes. I know you don't understand why that's so funny. But it's funny because there was what take my wife, please, is what you would say. The old comedians and back in the day you say but the German changed from please to I command you which was very funny you get that joke don't you do you guys get it <laughs> they're rolling on the floor oh Max is on now yes Max how are you good it's going to be an interesting conversation, Max. I will tell you, we have people here from uh, from Minnesota. We also have a couple of young ladies uh, who were kicked out of Germany, so we're stuck with them now. <laughs> Isn't that how it went? They, were, they threw you out of the country, and now we're stuck with you. Isn't that it? Oh yeah, that's that's definitely what happened. My parents didn't want me anymore anymore. So 
That's what happens. That's See, what happens. You should be a stand. I swear to God we're related. You sound exactly like my mother and my grandma. I'm telling you. In a good way. Yes, only in a good way. Though. Hope so. In a, in, a, in a very, very good way. Better. It's ab- absolutely true. Uh, Max Boot, the road not taken, ladies and gentlemen. Max, you having a good day, sir? I am. I hate to mention it, but I am in sunny Los Angeles as we speak. Well, nice. that's all right. It's I think it's seven degrees in Minnesota, so that's don't worry about us. <laughs> uh, yeah. The you, road you can add like a zero onto that for California. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> the road not taken. The American tragedy. Uh, Edward Lansdale and the American tragedy in Vietnam by Max Boot, spelled B-O-O-T, just like it sounds. The debate over why the Vietnam War went so wrong still rages as we reach its 50th anniversary. And by the way, Max, I cannot believe we are at the 50th anniversary of the Vietnam conflict, as they called it. That is amazing to me. But as Max, it's it's entered the realm of history, so I think we can take a more objective look at it and move beyond some of the passions of the period. See, this is actually great. We do actually, in in all truth, Max, we do have two German. students in studio with us today and I pretty much ruined the image of America for us by just talking to them so you, if you could bring it back in so they'll think America's a nice place again I'd really appreciate it I'll do my best so yeah tell us uh, as Max Wood compellingly argues in The Road Not Taken one figure looms especially large as a symbol of the war's many missed opportunities why Edward Lansdale? Well, Edward Lansdale was this legendary covert operative who, in the early 1950s, working for the CIA, helped to mastermind the defeat of a communist insurgency in the Philippines, and as a result of that, got a ticket to Saigon in 1954 and helped to create the new state of South Vietnam. And then he stayed involved in Vietnamese affairs from 1954 right up through the Tet Offensive. He was actually there 50 years ago uh, during Tet. And he, but he increasingly became an internal critic of the U.S. government policy because he kept arguing that we were not going to win this war simply by bombing uh, North Vietnam into oblivion, that you know, we couldn't win simply by killing the Viet Cong, as General Westmoreland was doing, that we had to offer a positive ideal and an idea to the people of South Vietnam that would lead them to support the government that we were also supporting. And unfortunately, his advice was disregarded by Robert McNamara and Lyndon Johnson and McGeorge Bundy, all the best and brightest who thought they knew better, and they really didn't. So what I do is I tell the story of Edward Lansdale, and in so doing, I tell the story of, of, of our involvement in Vietnam and draw some lessons from the present day. And it's, it's truly, I mean, I spent the last five years studying Lansdale, truly a fascinating guy, complicated figure. Uh, it, it, so it's not only a military history, it's also an adventure story, a spy story. There's also a romance because I got my hands on the long-hidden love letters that Ed Lansdale wrote to the great love of his life, this Filipino woman named Pat Kelly, who became his longtime mistress and eventually, after his first wife died, became his second wife. And so I have this vantage point onto Lansdale's innermost thinking that was denied to previous writers like David Halberstam and Neil Sheehan and others Mm -hmm. who also wrote about him in their books on Vietnam. It's a phenomenal story. I tell you what, the story actually goes on. You refer to uh, Edward Lansdale as an American T.E. Lawrence. Um, I don't know if I would consider that to be a compliment, to tell you the truth. Uh, well, T.E. Lawrence was, was like Edward Lansdale. They were, they were two of the great advisors right. of the 20th century, and that Lawrence embedded with the Bedouin tribes was very effective on behalf of his country in, in Arabia in World War One. And, and, and uh, Lansdale embedded in the Philippines and in Vietnam and was also very uh, effective. 
and in both cases, I think they, they, their secret weapon was empathy, it was emotional intelligence, their ability to bond with people very different from themselves. Um, do, you, do you think, and I'm not, you know, taking uh, taking a side in this argument, do you think it was a mistake because T.E. Lawrence recommended borders in that part of the world, and that, to many people, they think that created a lot of problems? Well, the, you know, T. Lawrence was, was was among those who was very frustrated by the outcome of his intervention in, in Arabia because he did not like how at the Paris Peace Conference in 1919 the colonial mm-hmm. powers chopped up the Middle East uh, in ways that were anathema uh, to the local people. Uh, and Ed Lansdale, in a similar fashion, was very upset by what policymakers did and, and the way they made a hash of efforts in, in South Vietnam to, to build a more durable, stable, and legitimate state. They Ultimately, he was betrayed, and the, the key betrayal was uh, the K- Kennedy administration deciding to overthrow his friend and protege, No Din Diem, which in 1963, which Lansdale warned would be a disaster, and indeed it was, because that was the key move that destabilized South Vietnam and Americanized the war and gave us ownership of South Vietnam in a way mm-hmm. that Lansdale warned would be very unhealthy. Yeah, it was very, very unhealthy, as a matter of fact. I, I love how uh, In the Road Not Taken, Edward Lansdale and the American tragedy in Vietnam, you talk about the uh, co-conspiracy Oliver Stone had purported in his movie. Did he co-conspire to have Kennedy assassinated because of what the Kennedy Kennedy family had done? And it wasn't just JFK. They always like to talk about it was JFK, well, it was JFK and Bobby. Joe Kennedy had a lot of influence on all of these things, did he not? Uh I don't. I don't doubt it. I mean, I, there's a lot of conspiracy monitoring about the Kennedy assassination. Right, right. I don't think there's been any. There's, there's, I don't think there's any credible evidence that it was anything but a but a lone act by Lee Harvey Oswald. But you know, if you watch Oliver Stone's movie JFK or go online, you see there's this burgeoning industry fingering Ed Lansdale as the mastermind of the Kennedy assassination, mm-hmm. based on a single photo in Dallas showing a man from the rear. Uh, who a single conspiracy monger identified as Ed Lansdale. So it's a, it's a pretty thin read to hang a charge of murder, but th- what, what this goes to show me is that there's this huge amount of myth and legend around Ed Lansdale, and what I've tried to do in The Road Not Taken is to look at the real man and all his complexity and to go beyond the myths and the legends. I need to take just a very quick break. Can we come right back with you? Would that be all right, Max? Absolutely. Be right back, Tom Bernardio. Just like all of you, I had been hearing about my pillow and was skeptical that it was as great as everyone says. Well, I received my first my pillow and I love it. It's very comfortable. Stays in that same exact position all night. Fantastic. Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow, has a very special offer for Tom Bernardio listeners. My pillow is offering more than fifty percent off his four pack special, which includes two premium my pillows and two go anywhere pillows. If you're looking for a great night's sleep, now is the perfect time to get your first my pillow. If you already know how great the MyPillow is, why not give them to everyone you know? Call 800-516-5146, use promo code TOM, or go to MyPillow.com. But make sure you use promo code TOM. Call 800-516-5146 and use promo code TOM. That's 800-516-5146, promo code TOM. This is Tom, and I want to tell you a story about camping. A guy named Tim, his back pain, and his angry wife. You see, Tim went camping with his family, but he aggravated his recurring back problem a couple of days before when he was golfing with his buddies. His wife had to set up the campsite and do all the heavy lifting, and Tim couldn't do a whole lot with the two kids. Tim was not a happy camper. 
and neither was his wife. The following Monday, Tim's wife got him an appointment at Hopkins Health and Wellness Center, a DMR method clinic. Their team of physical therapists and chiropractors figured out what was really wrong with his back, quickly got him out of pain, and taught him how to keep it from coming back. And what did Tim say was the biggest benefit of finally handling his back problem? Happy wife, happy life. DMR clinics are a group of physical therapists, chiropractors, and allied medical spine specialists that can help you feel better fast. They have a 96% success rate. It's covered by insurance, and you don't need a referral. They have convenient locations in Hopkins, Woodbury, Rogers, and Blaine. For a free consultation, go to dmrmethod.com. That's dmrmethod.com. show our special guest max boot the road not taken edward lansdale and the american tragedy in vietnam we also have two german foreign well, you're not really foreign exchange students you're just kind of lazing around rude honesty is not rudeness it's, it's, it's rude. completely different. It's, it's if you have work here. i know you're doing actual work and sophie and, and laura you're doing phenomenal work Thank annoying you. your uncle tom uh if you have any questions for for mr boot i would love to hear a, a german take on this as well um max one thing you mentioned this just before we went to to break human beings love borders and they love lines uh I don't, and why do they? It's one of those situations where uh, this is my personal property and I did this and I did. But when you go into someone else's culture, go to someone else's country, and you start deciding how we're going to chop this up, why, why do they feel the need to do that, do you think? Well, I mean, I'm honestly quite, not quite sure what you're referring to here. You're, you're thinking about the division of Vietnam in the 1950s? Yeah. Well, that was, I mean, nobody thought, was, was very enthusiastic about it. It was right. just kind of the least bad idea out there because that occurred after the French defeat at Dien Bien Phu in 1954 when their uh, empire in Indochina was crumbling. And so you had the Geneva Conference in 1954, this great power conference, which gave North Vietnam to Ho Chi Minh and the communists and created a new state of South Vietnam. And that was where Ed Lansdale came in because he really made that state a viable and going concern. And of course, the expectation was that uh, you would have some kind of reunification before long, but the, the scheduled election never happened. And because in all likelihood, North Vietnam and Ho Chi Minh would have won that election. Uh, and so instead, you had a war uh, to determine uh, the future of, of North and South Vietnam, just as you had a war in 1950 in Korea over the future of North and South Korea, another one of those post-war divisions that led to a lot of trouble in later years. See, I did like your answer to that, and you answered exactly what I was asking, that when you described it as the least bad of the bad ideas. Uh, yeah, it just didn't work out the way they had planned, the way they had thought it would work out, um, but it rarely does. Um, Edward Lansdale, what, so what did, oh, so he's there, um, he goes through all of these things, all the machinations, and I still can't believe it's 50 years, the 50th anniversary of the Vietnam War, the Vietnam, didn't they call it the Vietnam Conflict? In America, we didn't want to call it a war. Was that our idea to call it a conflict? 
No, I think it was generally called the Vietnam War. Of course, in Vietnam, it's called the American War. The American War, right. Huh. Yeah. Uh, no, it is, absolutely. Matter of fact, there's a, there's a sitcom on called Young Sheldon, and there's a young Vietnamese boy on there. And the, one of the first episodes on that, uh, th- this year on that uh, sitcom, he talks about the American War. And they all ask, what are you talking about? And he said, I'm talking about the American War in Vietnam. So it's exactly what you're, what you're saying, Max. Uh, and I don't think most Americans had ever heard that before. So I, I just, I am fascinated by all of the, because it was, here's what I heard. I'll tell you what I heard, Max, because I, I was a young teenager when this all began. And the, what we were told, and maybe they were told across the country, but I'm just talking about in my school system, we were told the reason that America needed to get involved in Vietnam was because the communists were going to go through Vietnam and then they were going to take over Australia. Had you ever heard that before? Yeah. Well, that was basically an expression of the domino theory, the notion right. that we had to protect South Vietnam. Otherwise, all the other countries in Asia were going to go communist, starting with Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, Australia, et cetera, et cetera. And so this was seen as vital to protect the American interest in the entire region. So that, that they were telling the truth, that basically they did think that the entire region would go communist, and then eventually uh, they would invade Australia because of a massive land with very few people living on it. So that part, in a way, was true. Well, that, that was certainly the concern. I mean, you can debate whether uh, it was an accurate concern mm-hmm. or not in, in hindsight, but you can also debate you know, whether we fought the right way, and there was a huge debate at the time and ever since because a lot of military men and a lot of conservatives in the United States thought that we should have used more firepower and that you know we should have invaded North Vietnam, but the reality was... Uh, that we already dropped more bombs in Vietnam than we had in all of World War II. And so there was another approach that was championed by, by individuals like Ed Lansdowne, who said, no, the problem is not that we're using uh, not insufficient firepower. The problem is we're using too much firepower. We're killing a lot of innocent people, driving a lot of innocent middle-of-the-road type people into the arms of the communists. And what Ed Lansdowne argued for was reduce the firepower, uh, reduce the American troop presence, help the South Vietnamese to help themselves, uh, and to try to win the allegiance of the people of South Vietnam, that was the way to proceed. And that's the that's the road not taken of, of my book title. And, of course, we don't know what would have happened if Lansdale's advice had been followed. Uh, it's hard to sit here and, and, and tell you that we would have necessarily won the war because North Vietnam was going to be a formidable adversary under any circumstances with more will to win, will to win than we had. But at the very least, if Lansdale had been listened to, we would not have lost 58,000 Americans in the jungles of Vietnam. We would not have had millions of Vietnamese killed in the crossfire because he never wanted to see half a million American troops thrashing through the jungles of Vietnam to begin with. It was interesting. My brother served in Vietnam, and he had talked about the fact when he came back, he was in the United States Marine Corps, and he was actually extended. He did the the normal uh, term of service was 365 days in Vietnam for an American uh, soldier or Marine, Navy, Air Force. But he was extended by President Johnson, so he stayed, I believe, uh, a year and a half for two years. And I was fascinated because I think um, uh, Edward Lansdale, whether he intended to or not, and I think he did intend to, but uh, inspired the youth of America to turn against this war because of exactly what you said, the road not taken. Do you think that they did have the wisdom, the young people in America I'm talking about now, did, did they recognize that we didn't take the road we should have, or did they just not well, there was a- serve? 
Yeah, I mean, there was obviously a lot of opposition to the war back home, right? especially after the Tet Offensive, which really destroyed popular support for the war effort. But Ed Lansdale actually occupied an unusual place on the political spectrum because he was neither hawk nor dove. He he disagreed with the doves, who said we should basically leave South Vietnam to their fate, and who cares if, if the communists take over. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also disagreed with the hawks, who said, no, you know, we need to fight for South Vietnam and use maximum firepower and invade North Vietnam and do all this other stuff, and he said, no, that's not going to work, that's not going to be effective. And so like a few other people, like John Paul Van, he advocated this third way of trying to support South Vietnam, but but doing it with reduced American commitment, without all those troops, without all the air power, really focusing on, on using advisors uh, and, and aid to help the South Vietnamese help themselves. And so he found himself as a real outlier uh, in the American political debate, but you know, he never gave up his commitment to, to preserving South Vietnam's independence, unlike uh, Daniel Ellsberg, who worked for him in Vietnam and went from being an arch-hawk to being this arch-dove who subsequently leaked the Pentagon Papers. Uh, Lansdale never quite made that transition in the way that Ellsberg did. Did we, because of a, give or take, a 20-year period between the Second World War and Vietnam, and obviously Korea uh, was in there as well, but was there a holdover from World War II where when America finally did get involved in World War II, it was literally bomb them back to the Stone Age, uh, and that's how they felt, a lot of people felt they won World War II, uh, along, of course, with several other countries. But uh, I just don't want to give too much credit to, you know. Uh, it's a situation where, where I think, was there a holdover from World War II all the way through the Korean conflict and then the Vietnam War that bombing people back to the Stone Age was the way to go and that's the way we're going to do it. I mean, is that, was yes. it a holdover yes, from World absolutely. War? Oh, yeah, okay. absolutely. That yeah. was very much the mindset of people like General William Westmoreland, who right. was a World War II vet. All of our senior commanders in Vietnam were World War II vets, and they didn't distinguish between this conventional war fighting uh, Germany and Japan, where it was appropriate to use a lot of firepower to destroy their armies and fleets, they didn't distinguish between that and the kind of people's war, this counterinsurgency uh, that they were in the midst of in Vietnam, where that kind of maximal use of firepower backfired because you're trying to protect the people and the, the, the enemy that you're fighting doesn't come out in the open to get bombed. They're hiding among the people and, and wearing you know black pajamas just like the ordinary civilian farmers. And so if you're just incinerating entire villages, you're going to kill, kill a lot of innocent people and undermine your, your broader war effort. That was something that Ed Lansdale understood, and he constantly said that. And he was a pioneer in counterinsurgency thinking, but he was ignored by all these conventional generals like William Westmoreland, who thought that he could kill the Viet Cong faster than they could be replaced. Yeah, you know, the, the reason I, I wanted to talk to you about that is when my brother did come back from Vietnam, he did tell a story one night about he was talking to some, some Vietnamese and... Uh, he asked the question, or he didn't ask the question, somebody in his group asked the question, are Americans good jungle fighters? And the response of the Vietnamese man was, no, you're terrible jungle fighters. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, Americans remove the jungle and then they fight. In other words, they bomb the hell out of a place and then they'll go in and fight. So they're not good jungle fighters at all. And I will never forget that as a young boy saying, that was a pretty, a pretty strong statement but he was right. Yeah, no, he was right. And and this was kind of the folly of this big unit American conventional war effort with the search and destroy missions, the free fire right. zones, 
you sent these massive American units thrashing around the jungle and often clearing the jungle with Agent Orange and so forth. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the Viet Cong were much more nimble fighters because they could hear the American troops coming from miles away, and they would get out of the way. And then when the Americans departed, they would come back and reoccupy the land that, mm -hmm. uh, that the Americans had just moved into. So it was a, it was a very futile war effort, and, and that was something that Edward Lansdale constantly warned about. He said, this is not working. Uh, they're actually, you know, being replaced faster than you can kill them, and you can't achieve decisive results with these big unit sweep operations. But again, the generals weren't listening, and that's that, I think, is a tragedy of history. Yeah, it worked in World War II, so it should work here, but it didn't. The yeah, road, very not, different war. Very different war. The Road Not Taken, Edward Lansdale and the American Tragedy in Vietnam by Max Boot, B-O-O-T, the author's name. The book is available everywhere, sir? It is, absolutely. It's New like, York Times bestseller, too. This is what... Congratulations. Oh, Max, congratulations, absolutely. Thank you. This is one of the most intelligent conversations I've ever had about the Vietnam War. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I, I, thanks for having me on. I learned a lot. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Max Boot, ladies and gentlemen, The Road Not Taken. So, ladies, what did you think of that conversation? Or were you on your cell phones the whole time? No, they were somewhat listening. <laughs> <laughs> were you playing Angry Birds? Were you playing Angry Birds the whole time? No. <laughs> well, we didn't have our phones out, okay? We're just tired, okay? <laughs> and I, they've been hanging out with attorneys too long. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm impressed uh, that, that they weren't on their phones. That's good. That is impressive, actually. Yes. I, I love having conversations like that uh, with people because w what happens, Sophie and Laura, mm -hmm. um, you have your impression of how things are from my youth when I was your age, as a matter of fact. Well, actually, you're a couple of old bags compared to how old I was. Wow. <laughs> 17 now. <laughs> she goes, Wow. <laughs> Uh, but I was very young, and, and my impressions and what I heard and what I learned and what I read about, and my brother bringing up that uh, are Americans good jungle fighters, that's what struck me later on in life. We went from one war, World War II, to the Korean conflict, didn't learn much there, and then we went into Vietnam and learned even less because it was a different war in a different place, and it wasn't going to be won that way. But people get this idea in their heads that I'm right and you're wrong, and if you don't agree with me, I hate you. Well, they did the same mm. thing in Desert Storm. They did, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So if there's one thing your Uncle Tommy wants to tell you to take back to Germany with you is don't assume someone is an idiot just because they don't agree with you. Everyone can learn from everyone else, unless, of course, the person is a complete moron. Then just <laughs> ignore them. Of course. That makes sense. That I can it? accept. That, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, that I can accept. No, it was great having you in studio. I, see, I, I learned something. You're very pleasant young ladies. Uh, I mean, you have no direction whatsoever, and I think you'll end up penniless. <laughs> but other than that... <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> Thank you. So that was a Minnesota thing right there. No, it was wonderful. <laughs> I, I do like, you know, I'm, I'm glad that Max was on. I'm glad you were here when Max was on because I think uh, you're 17 years old, both of you. Yeah. Yep. You, seriously, people can get along, and it's not about nationalism. It's not about which continent you're from, which hemisphere you're from, uh, your gender, your your skin color. People can all get along with one another, and I hope you learned a bit of that today because, mm -hmm. look, if I can get along with you two, I can get along with anyone. <laughs> <laughs> wow, but yeah, that, that, that's, that's uh, exactly right, though, because, like, 
Basically, we're all people and we're all stupid, so why not get along, I guess? <laughs> uh, see? Amen. I can leave you with this. A lovely comment. I really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. We'll, we'll be back. Tom Bernard, too.